Well, it's great to see everyone today. So good to be back in person, worshiping with you after a little week off. Um, especially want to welcome those joining us online, um, particularly those who are in quarantine. Uh, just know our hearts go out to you and that uh, this church is praying for a full recovery. Um, obviously, we're excited as a church to be able to continue to worship, even though the, the number of incidents for COVID are pretty high in Beaver County right now. Um, we do ask that you continue to pray for all those who have been impacted by it. And for this week, obviously, we have um, a couple more measures we put in place. For those of you who are here um, in person, you can see we've got the windows open, but the heat cranked. It's not really that bad. We've got this wonderful filtration system um, above us that we didn't even know that we had the church, really, until this last week or so. And if you flip these little fans, it's like sucks all the air out through these vents and kicks it out through the roof. So we're hopeful that this is a good measure that we can have in place going forward. But as Cammie said, this is a church that's committed to worship. So we will find a way to worship, just like last week where we had to record it from my living room and from Cammie's living room, um, or coming here in person and kind of doing the mixed thing here. I'm sure there's plenty of people who um, just are thinking, hey, it's Thanksgiving week, I'm just not risking it. Totally get it. And, and Good choice on your part. Um, we just want you to feel comfortable worshiping wherever you are. In fact, we even got this really cool amphitheater out back that we've been working on over the last couple of months. We might go outdoors. Some people are like, but it's starting to get towards the winter months. But this is Steeler Nation here. Like, you people are good at standing out and watching long football games in the cold. So really, um, you know, we're going to find a way to worship one way or the other. So anyway, just grateful for the opportunity to be back together. Last week, we started by talking about the foundational fundamentals in football, and one of those being ball security. And that's why teams meet every single week or every single day to practice, to work on those fundamentals of ball security. Because if you get sloppy with ball security, you're not going to be very satisfied with the outcome of the game. And similarly, like we learned last week, prayer is one of those foundational fundamentals of our faith. And when we get sloppy with that, we'll find that we're not very satisfied in our relationship with the Lord. And so as we look at this um, particular issue of prayer, last week we saw the challenge that we have sometimes of showing off in our prayers or babbling a little bit too long. But today Jesus is actually going to teach us from the Lord's prayer how he wants us to approach prayer. And just like everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, he turns our world upside down. And particularly as we look at this issue of prayer. Now, prayer is one of those things that's a challenge, but it's also something that's very important. In fact, when a PhD student at Princeton asked his advisor, Albert Einstein, what is there left in the world to study? You can see from this quote up here, Albert Einstein replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. So we could literally spend the next year studying prayer. It's so central to all that we do. But we're currently in this mini-series where Jesus is telling us, giving us three illustrations basically, what he means when he says, be careful practicing acts of righteousness before other people so that you're not doing it to get credit. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing good things or righteous acts in front of people, things like giving to the needy or praying or fasting like we'll study last week or next week. But we just got to be careful that we have a right heart about that so that we are focused on God's glory, not our own glory. So today, as we unpack the Lord's Prayer, 
hopefully we'll all be convicted about how we're to approach the Lord in prayer and that will help us take those next steps towards him through prayer. So I invite you to join me in a quick prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We want to glorify you through our prayers and we want to align our hearts with yours. So we ask for your help this morning. Teach us what we need to know about praying, just as you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ask all these things and whatever else you see that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. And then Jesus goes on to give these words at the conclusion of that prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's start with the opening lines of this passage. They're pretty standard for any engagement with another person. We start with their name, our Father. That's his name. Each of us have names too. And we just don't use those names to get someone else's attention. Rather, it speaks to the totality of who we are as a person, the body, the mind, the heart, and the soul. Take, for example, when I say the name Marcy, something comes to mind, doesn't it? More than just five letters that spell Marcy's name. Characteristics such as highly dependable, hard worker, preschool, huge heart, tough, and the enforcer of the four-mile stop sign out there, so you better hit those brakes. Her name conveys every attribute that makes Marcy uniquely Marcy. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. All the descriptors you see up here on this graphic encompass what we mean when we say, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Meaning we're acknowledging that we're coming before a perfectly holy God. In all of his fullness, the name above all names, someone we can barely even comprehend. That's who we're talking to. And this point right here, the name to whom we are praying, is why prayer is such a challenge, even for Einstein. When we skip over this part about his name, we start to get sloppy, because this is where prayer begins with his majestic, unfathomable name and all that it entails. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's sovereign in control of everything. All present, all powerful, all knowing, and he's good. He's the definition of love, perfectly holy, and the author of truth 
That's who we're referring to when we say, our Father. That's his name. And I don't know about you, but when I consider the immensity of God's name, it brings me to my knees. So for whatever else prayer might be about, it's first and foremost about God's greatness and our humility. It also suggests that if we're going to engage with someone of this magnitude, we better have our stuff together. And as we learned last week, that doesn't mean a bunch of fancy words to impress God or a whole bunch of babble that goes on and on and on. Because remember, Jesus turns our world upside down. It might even be something as simple as a one-word prayer. Help. That's about as clean as we can make it. You see, prayer is about seeking God's will, not our will. Coming before him in dependence and humility for our needs. Now, the word used back in Old Testament times for preparing ourselves for prayer, translated to today, is recollect. So we must recollect or pause to remember who we're talking to. We must compose ourselves as we approach prayer. In other words, we best enter into this encounter with a healthy fear of the Lord in all humility because this is the creator and sustainer of the universe that we're talking with after all. Next, Jesus points us to two important priorities for when we pray. Namely, first, his kingdom come, and second, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So first, we must prioritize his kingdom. And that's the very thing that Jesus came to usher in as part of the new covenant. It's also the very same thing that Jesus is preaching on in the Sermon on the Mount as he's turning our world upside down. It's all about his kingdom. So we go from his great name to his kingdom. In his kingdom, humility rules the day, which is in complete contrast to the world where we're focused on pride and self. In his kingdom, the intentions of our hearts are as important as our external actions. In his kingdom, we're called to die to the world, to die to our neighbors, to die to self, and to live to his glory through his grace. This is the very kingdom where God's reign and his authority are never questioned, and where his will, his sovereign, his good, his providential, and his loving will are joyfully and willingly embraced as the only way. That's just how things work in his kingdom. And oh, what it would be like if we could operate like that here on earth as it is in heaven. But if we're honest with ourselves, the worldly influences in us, our own sin, it causes us to rather ask God to align the whole universe around our will instead of us asking him to use us to carry out his will. But we see here in this text that it's God's concerns, not our concerns, that must take center stage in this relationship. So that 
is how we come before him in our prayers. Where it is now our expressed desire to place God's name, his kingdom, and his will as our priority. And if you're like me, after you're confronted with this truth, you're going to find how sloppy you've been getting with your prayers. Because the last couple weeks, as you kind of preach to yourself, as you're getting ready to preach a sermon, you kind of look at your own prayers, and I find myself doing that. I find myself asking God to order the whole universe around my priorities instead of me focusing my prayers on carrying out his will. So that's perhaps one of the most important teachings we can gain from this passage this morning. So now once we're oriented around God's glory in line with his great name, his kingdom, and his will, then Jesus invites us to acknowledge our humble dependence on God's grace for everything that we need. That includes our material, our relational, and our spiritual needs. So it's everything. Notice how Jesus starts with what often concerns us the most, our material needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is symbolic in Scripture of our basic needs. It harkens back to God's provision to the nation Israel when he rescued them from captivity in Egypt, and he brought them out into the desert. And they pleaded to God, take us back where we at least have food. But God said, no, I'm going to sustain you. And so for 40 years, as they wandered around that desert, each morning, God provided manna, the bread that sustained them. If they held on to that bread overnight, it spoiled, became rotten. But the next morning, when they woke up, there was new manna waiting for them, demonstrating God's faithfulness to sustain his people. God creates, and he sustains what he creates. But it's not the bread that's the key. It's the name of the one who provides the bread, our Father. You see, we, we get the same manna every single morning, too. We get new graces, new mercies to sustain us each day from our Father. So we humbly ask for whatever we'll need to glorify his great name, operate in his kingdom, and carry out his will. Next, he turns to our relational needs. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness. It's one of the keys to any relationship, whether it's a relationship with God or a relationship with each other. We simply cannot be in a right relationship with our Father or with each other unless we're willing to forgive. In fact, it's so important, that's why Jesus places additional emphasis on this by adding those amplifying lines at the end of his prayer that I read for you. Let me read them again. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Note once again his great name, our Father, twice in this particular passage. In this expression, Jesus further emphasizes our utter dependence on God for everything, but especially forgiveness. After all, that's why Jesus came in the first place, 
to forgive our sins. So do you see how totally dependent we are on God for everything? That's why I love this image up here. I often picture it in my mind before I go to bed because it evokes this notion of absolute dependence. We've all had that experience where we're walking down a sidewalk with a toddler or a young kid, and they like their freedom, so they're kind of walking along. And then all of a sudden, something seems to startle them or whatever, and they just reach up, and they grab your hand, demonstrating their total dependence. That's who we are. That's what we are like, totally dependent on God. Now, we must be very careful that we don't read this as we are only forgiven if we forgive other people because that violates a foundational theological principle. God is always the first mover. The point Jesus is making is that if you've been truly forgiven by God for your sins, if you realize that you are on that dark path headed for eternal destruction, but then you accept the work that Christ did on the cross for you, being born again into this new life in Christ, where he forgives you of your sin and places you on that well-lighted, narrow path we've been talking about, then you can't help but not forgive other people. It's just not possible to be forgiven by Jesus, to be being right before our Father, and then not in turn forgive other people. So this is a verse that is a reminder to us that if we find ourselves unable to forgive others when we go before the Lord in prayer, recollect, remind yourself what Jesus did for you on the cross, and by all means, forgive whoever has trespassed against you. Because you simply can't be aligned to serve God's name, his kingdom, and his will if you're not right with both God and others. And then Jesus hits our spiritual needs. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now there's a ton here. We could spend weeks on this passage alone. But essentially, we should also pray that we might live in a state of righteousness, being right with God and with others. In other words, having a heart for doing the right thing. Now, we also know that God never tempts us. That's the role of the devil. And while the devil rules in this world, God is ultimately sovereign over all. He's still the authority, and that's why his name is so important. Meaning, God can permit the devil to tempt us, like we read in the book of Job. And we know that temptation can lead to sin which always draws us further and further away from that straight edge of truth. As we learned earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when we studied lust, temptations start with an attraction. Then there's a follow-up, that second look. And then the imagination kicks in and starts building those desires. And then we look for an occasion to fulfill them. And Jesus already taught us that once we move from that second glance, that follow-up phase, into the imagination phase, we've already committed the sin, just like had we done the external action itself. And so we pray 
that we might be delivered from the evil of sin in our lives, for the strength to not take that second look. We ask God to help us to be principled, premeditative, and decisive, building those hedges that we might resist temptation and align ourselves once again with that straight edge of truth so that we can glorify God's great name and carry out his will as heirs of his kingdom. If these graphics are unfamiliar to you, I just encourage you to go back to our website, check out some of these previous sermons. You'll see the graphics displayed. We'll also be putting these up on the website here in the coming weeks so that you have access to them. But do you see how our prayers are not about trying to get God to do our will? They're about us doing his will. They're about asking for strength, calling out for help because we're totally dependent upon his grace, getting those things that we don't deserve for our material, our relational, and our spiritual needs in order that we might be able to glorify God in all that we do. Now, to be clear, this isn't a new formula. It's not some magical, mystical scheme. It's just simply the way we come before the creator and sustainer of the universe. So let's take some time this week, recollect before we pray, and reorient our prayers around God's will instead of ours. In fact, it's so important that we guard against creating some scheme for how we pray that I've actually asked Cami to speak to this a little bit at the end of the service. I think it's important that we all walk out of here focused on our relationship with him, less about some formula. So now, this actually concludes the formal teaching points in this sermon. But I want to spend just a few minutes talking about application. So I have three graphics for you. Basically, I want to talk about how we might begin to operationalize all that we've been learning in the Sermon on the Mount since we started this thing back in August. It's important as a church that we know what our next steps are. I hope that you all still have your Great Commission card from back in August. If not, you can grab one on the way out. We're going to have them here for weeks, years to come. Um, you'll recall that Jesus gives us our commission to go and make disciples, which aligns perfectly with our church's vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus. So whenever you hear the phrase, let's go, or whenever we sing that song, Let's Go, that Tyler wrote for us, great inspirational song, we're referring to our church responding to our great commission. Now, as the universal church stands at one of the epical, major inflection points of at least our lives, our staff and elders have been asking and seeking God for his direction on this. What do we do now as a church that church life has changed so radically. Look at the major tectonic shifts in our culture just in the last couple of years. Look how differently we relate to people than we did just five years ago. All the impacts that the digital age has on us for how we produce things, again, how we interact. And of course, this pandemic helps us see the impacts of globalization and how we're all interconnected. So what do you do when it feels like the hurricanes and the winds are just blowing through your life? Well, you go back 
to those foundational fundamentals. And that's why Cammie started all this back in June and July time frame, walking us through Acts 2. What did that early church do when it was confronted with all of the new changes? Well, it needed to stay focused on those foundational fundamentals. And that's what we're doing in this church. That's why we have this football up here every single week, to remind us of those, football, of those uh, foundational fundamentals. So as a staff, as elders, we've gone through the New Testament and we've assembled a collection of all the functions and those early fundamentals that the early Christian church focused on. We've grouped them into 12 pillars that you see up here. They're going to serve as the foundation for everything we do going forward. Those are the same 12 pillars that you'll find on the back of your Great Commission card. Of course, we're going to use new technologies, new modalities, but the pillars are going to remain the same, just like they were in first century Palestine. So in 2022 and beyond, we're going to encourage each of you to pick one, two, maybe three of these pillars where you commit to grow. We're going to link you up with other people who also want to grow in those same pillars, and we're going to spend 2022 and beyond focused on those fundamentals. And every year you can grab another pillar or two and just keep working your way through all 12 of these. We're essentially going to do a soft launch for the prayer ministry that you see up there, praying in faith, number three. We want to develop prayer warriors to get behind wherever Jesus calls this church next. We want to move at Jesus' pace, in his direction, and by his power, which is why prayer is our starting point. Praying the way Jesus taught us today and the way other methods we see throughout Scripture. There's going to be a whole lot more on these 12 pillars, but we're going to kind of dig in a little bit more on this pillar number three, prayer. I want to specifically show you how we want to soft launch this in the coming weeks. Currently, we have what's often referred to as the four-mile prayer chain. You can kind of see that denoted up there with that white circle. This has been in existence for years. Some of you have even told me stories about when you were kids. You remember your parents receiving a phone call on a landline with a prayer request. And you wrote the prayer request down. And then you would go to your roster and you'd find the next person and you'd call them on your landline. And they'd pick it up. You'd do the whole rotary thing, right? And that's how we kept those prayers going in this church. And then, of course, we moved to email. This prayer chain has been absolutely vital to sustaining this church for so many years. So we're going to build on this great legacy, making it even easier to access it and participate in this entire comprehensive prayer ministry. So first, Abby has created a super easy to use prayer request form that you can access from our website or from that application we've been encouraging you to lo load down on your phone. You submit the information and your prayer request goes to one of our deacons who's going to manage this program. And that deacon will determine whether it's a personal request or a kingdom request. So what do I mean by personal request? Well, it's one of those things we put in there for maybe a health-related issue or a relational issue or some other person-specific issue that's relevant specific to you. Kingdom prayers are more about our mission, our current events, ministries that we're working on, expressions that I'll explain in just a minute, everything that has to do with let's, let's go. The personal prayers will be prayed for by a team of prayer warriors every single day. In fact, it's going to be so intense that those prayer warriors will probably only be on that list to pray 
once a month or so, maybe a month, maybe two months, and then we'll pull them off and rotate new people in. So when you submit a personal prayer request, you can be assured that there's a team of prayer warriors praying over that request every single day. For our kingdom prayers, we're going to post them on our website. You can, again, access those from the app or from the website. And you will be able to see all the kingdom prayers we're praying through. And I'd hope that every single person in the church, regardless of whether this is one of those pillars you pick or not, would find some time throughout the week to just open up that website and pray through those kingdom prayers that we have listed there. We also have a team of people, I don't know if you knew this or not, we have a team of people who pray during our worship services. So we have Deb Fernandez at home praying online right now. We've got um, Jack and Wendy in the back praying for the church. Um, We do that every single week. If that's something you're interested in doing, again, if you go to that little circle, you click on that on the website, you can see how you could sign up for that as well. We also want to have prayer events listed. So a prayer event would be a time where we get together and pray about a specific thing or a specific need. A good example of that is the prayer walk that is scheduled today down in Beaver. We're going to meet at 3 o'clock at Shaw Park. We're partnering with Young Life and a couple other churches to walk around Beaver and do a prayer walk today. That's a great example of the type of prayer events that we hope to continue to foster. The website will also contain prayer resources that will encourage us, books to read, other prayers that you might work on, other ways to think about praying together. If you join this team in 2022, you will have the chance to pray alongside others who feel called to this exact same ministry. And then finally, how does this all fit into the larger scheme? There's going to be a whole lot more conversation about this in the coming days, weeks, and months. But as you can see up there at the bottom, those 12 pillars, I already explained them, they're going to be the anchor of this. Number three up there you see with that little white line, that's our prayer ministry we've been talking about. And we're going to stay focused initially on two main efforts in the future, student ministry and local missions. Now, why those two? Well, we're going to expand this, obviously, as we grow out and try to work towards our vision. But we pick those two because we see there's a real need for both of those in this area, and we already have a pretty good foothold in both areas. So, for example, if you think about our student ministry, we have child care right here at this Beaver campus right here at Four Mile, where about 60 kids every single day, we have the opportunity to pour into and teach them about the love of Jesus. We have another 80 or so kids at our preschool. We have children's church most weeks. We have this partnership now with Young Life, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in the coming weeks too. We're calling our next-gen ministry for our fourth graders and above, where we have the opportunity to connect them with other like-minded teenagers in the area and kind of connect that ministry. For our local missions, as most of you know, the church has been pretty focused on Midland, and we want to continue to push along in that regard. Everyone knows about the center, the Hope House. We have a little bit of a relationship going now with Mount Calvary Church down there. Um, Love to see that continue to blossom as well. We have another child care facility in Midland, about another 70 students. It can hold probably another uh, 30 or so. Um, So we want to continue to push behind those. Each of these programs, as you might imagine with regard to prayer, they require a ton of it. And it's great if we pray in our homes, but it's even better when we get into the town, into the streets, and start praying relationally with the people in student ministry and the people down in Midland. You also see some circles up there. These are called expressions. What's an expression? It's when you decide to respond to your great commission and get out there and move that ball forward. This prayer walk this afternoon, that's an example of an expression. 
Maybe two of you in this prayer um, pillar decide to link up with two people down at Mount Calvary Chapel at Subway every Tuesday down in Midland, and you pray for the town. That would be an example of an expression. Two of our elders, Bill and Steve, they're focused on number seven up there, the discipleship piece. So they've got a GPS expression they're working on, where over the coming weeks and months, you'll just get a, a text with a grid coordinate. You go to that grid coordinate, you show up with your Bible, they have some food and some drink there, and we do some discipleship training right there around a fire pit. So that's the kind of little micro-expressions and other things we see going forward as pivotal to meeting our let's go goals. Now, hopefully you can see how this all kind of hangs together, how, this, how we're kind of pushing this thing forward. But the key is that we want to get away from a church that's focused on meeting here at Four Mile, that's focused on meeting behind the walls. That's good to do, and we'll always continue to worship the Lord together. But we want to get out into the towns, into the streets, responding to that great commission that Jesus has called us to. And we want to stay focused on those fundamentals, particularly as things continue to change. And we know that prayer must clearly lead the way. So as I said, we'll lay all this out in great detail in the coming weeks and months. I just thought this was a great opportunity on the heels of the Lord's Prayer for us to see how what we're learning from Jesus can be applied to our everyday life in 2022 and beyond. And like I also said, these graphics will all be displayed. If you go to our website, you go to the Let's Go um, button, and you pull those up, you'll be able to have access to all those. So you can continue to, to kind of meet with each other, talk about this, and pray how you might respond to your great commission. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you call us into relationship with you. And you have shown us one of the ways that you want us to engage with you in prayer. Father, we long to see your face, to be in your presence, to worship you, and to serve you with all the gifts and talents you've given us. Thank you for your great provision and for calling us to dependence out of a spirit of humility. Convict us of how you want each of us to respond to your commission throughout all of our lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Hey, before I forget, because I have a terrible memory, so I'm going to do it right now. I did get a text uh, that we are still going to go forward with the student prayer walk today. We're just not going to walk. We're going to meet underneath the pavilion at Shaw Park. So we'll be outside. It'll be safe. There'll be plenty of room. Um, but that's at 3 o'clock. So just wanted to let you know that. As David mentioned, he asked me just to share a few thoughts because I too have been thinking a lot about prayer along with y'all the past couple of weeks. It's been so encouraging, first of all. We have gotten so many texts and emails. You all are thinking about this. You're, you're wrestling through scripture with it. You're talking about it. You're praying about it. And that is so good. Don't ever stop doing that. And I just want to encourage you, you know, as you're being challenged, you know, as your understanding is, is getting deeper and wider, if you will, and, and you're learning and you're growing, just know that God is shaping us. He's molding us because he loves us. How good he is to continue to sanctify us in these things. Amen? And so, again, as I've been thinking about prayer, I just... Every time I think about it, it just, for me, it comes back to relationships. And so think about your closest relationship or, or one or two relationships, right? Like, are there times that you simply just want to sit? You sit in one another's presence and you just enjoy each other? You don't have to say a word, 
Or maybe there's times that you want to express your hurts, your struggles, your fears, your dreams, your hopes. And so you talk those through. Maybe there are times you are filled with so much love and so much joy that you just can't help but express it. You just got to tell them how much you love them and how thankful you are. That, I think that's what prayer is like. I mean, I don't have chapter and verse on that, but that's just what I, what I know about relationships and what I've learned with the Lord over the years. You know, Jesus gives us this incredible, I mean, I love what we're learning from him in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. It just, it's such a great framework from which to, you know, shape and, and sharpen our prayers. David just mentioned that we're going to have online a whole bunch of resources so that we can all hopefully engage them um, and, and engage them in prayer in more meaningful and fruitful ways. But one of the things that you'll, you'll recognize then if you look those up is that there are so many different ways to pray. Like, for example, if you go to the Psalms, oh my goodness, there are so many incredible prayers in the Psalms. There are prayers of lament when people are just heartbroken. Uh, there are prayers of exultation. There are prayers, you know, for deliverance. There are cries of desperation. But what's so cool about them is that they're just so real and raw and, and personal and the thing, you know, you look at those prayers or any other prayers through Scripture, along with Jesus' prayer and, and Matthew, every single one of them is grounded in God's will and God's glory. That's what binds them all together. That's what it's always got to be about. So I, I can't encourage you strongly enough to, to go to the Scriptures, to, to look at and study and then pray those prayers right from scripture, I'm telling you, it will ignite your prayer life in ways that you may have never before experienced. But what we've got to remember, no matter how we're praying or, or, or what we're praying about, that it's got to be rooted in, grounded in, longing for God's glory and God's will above all else. In every season, in the good times, in the hard times, on the mountaintops and in the valleys, we recollect who God is. We remember what he's done for us. And out of that, we pray. We lament. We ask. We seek. We struggle. We sit in silence. What, whatever we might be going through. And there are times, I know there are going to be times, because we're human, we're going to get sloppy. But we can be encouraged because God is so gracious. He's so faithful to remind us, to get us back on track, to lead us to repentance. And when we humbly repent, oh, right, Lord, so sorry. <laughs> we will be forgiven. He will pour out his grace and we'll pray our way through. Amen. God is good and he is faithful. So church, let's pray together and see God do what only he can do. 